Hello there. I wanted to thank you for listening and sharing this podcast with your friends. I'm a dad now. We'll dig into that in a future episode, but I just wanted to let you know. We're settling into a groove, and I'm thinking we should have one new episode out every few weeks or so. I'll try to keep things flowing so you hear from me at least once a month. But as Jane at Beat commented in her review, I'm on that dad schedule now, so it may take some time. Thanks for sharing your day with me. Please rate and subscribe, and be kind to one another. Let's begin. This is the Bird Dad Podcast. I'm Ian Carlson. The American woodcock has accumulated a number of colorful names throughout the ages. It's been called Timberdoodle, Bog Sucker, Labrador Twister, and Mud Snipe. It's also the Mud Bat and Needle Partridge, Woolly Bugger, Bunny Leech, and Hokum Poke. It's the Worm Saber, or the Whipper Won't, the Prairie Turtle, the Little Gomer, the Waffle Bird, the Crazy Straw. Its names are an ecstasy of backcountry charm. They tickle the ears. This cryptic, bug-eyed, forest-dwelling sandpiper has accumulated a repertoire of nicknames that could put any fly-fishing lure catalog to shame. In fact, I slipped the names of two fly-fishing lures into that list just to see if you were paying attention. Were you? It's okay if you weren't. It's just a podcast. The Penobscot call the woodcock Nexgikoahases, which means underneath grass little creature. It's a good description for a robin-sized, brown and gray bird that skulks around woodland edges. It probes for worms using its long bill, and it can often be seen rocking back and forth, head perfectly still, seemingly using the vibrations to stir invertebrates beneath its feet. The woodcock then plunges its sensitive bill into the soil, extracts its squirmy prey item, and gobbles it down. I love woodcocks. I've spent some time thinking of how I could best approximate the experience of being a woodcock. First, you'd need to mimic their cryptic plumage, which blends perfectly with a leafy forest floor. An old army jacket should do nicely. Then, get some huge fisheye goggles to give yourself super stereoscopic vision. A woodcock's large eyes can see 360 degrees horizontally and 180 degrees vertically. Next up, fashion yourself some stubby, rounded wings to flap vigorously as you propel yourself through the woods. Then, tape two wiffle ball bats to your face, the long way, to simulate a bill. Finally, get a friend to bury a foot-long Subway sandwich somewhere in your yard and dance around until you can feel it with your feet. Put a little dip in your hip, a little glide in your stride, and get hunting. Oh, and did I mention their brains are upside down? So how do you find such a retiring, cryptically colored creature? Spring.
Throughout early spring, male woodcocks return to the same spot at dawn and dusk to broadcast their nasally peent call and announce their presence to potential mates. This patch of land is known as a lek. The most valued leks, the ones that get filled in the most quickly when the territorial male passes away, offer the least sonic degradation and background noise to compete with. Male woodcocks, like their sound systems, hi-fi. A well-chosen lek makes male woodcocks rather easy to detect. Just find an old farm or open field in April, preferably some place where the forest has been allowed to creep back in. Wait till just after sunset or just before sunrise, and if a woodcock's there, you'll hear him. You may also see them, too. After painting for a bit, they'll launch up into the sky, zipping up and up, sometimes over 300 feet in the air. During this ascent, they let the wind rush over specialized feathers that create a distinctive twittering sound. And as they descend back to earth, banking and zigzagging in crazy patterns, they add in a sputtering chirp, like the sound of a teensy World War I biplane spiraling to its doom. Then they land back at the lek and start again. When my wife and I moved to the old farm where we live now, I was hoping for woodcocks. When I heard them start painting in March, I was beside myself with excitement. Since woodcocks reliably return to the same spot after each display flight, it's possible though rather difficult, to creep up on them and observe them in this ritual. This process is referred to as timber-doodling. One gray March evening, with the knowledge that my time in the field birding was going to be shortened by the arrival of our child, I set my heart to doodling. As dusk crept over the back field, I could hear two or three woodcocks painting. The first one leapt into the sky from a swampy clearing near an alder thicket. It zipped across the clouds, a softball-sized cartoon bumblebee, and was joined by another woodcock. And another. Vigorously competing for an unseen female eye. I walked down the field towards the swampy clearing where the first woodcock emerged from. As I did this, I listened for that sputtering chirp to join in with the whinny of the flight feathers. This signaled that the woodcock was spiraling down and might have eyes on the ground. While driven by an intense need to find a mate, woodcocks are not suicidal and will avoid both predators and podcasters alike. When I heard that sputtering, I froze in a crouch. My neighbor's dogs did not like this. I slowly moved away from the barking, thankful for the neighbor's invisible fence. It's difficult to explain yourself to strange dogs in the dark. 
My pursuit continued for about an hour. I advanced on the flight, paused on the descent, and retriangulated the lek when painting began. Finally, I got close enough to the lek that I had to drop to my stomach to conceal my presence from the woodcock's all-seeing eyes. I was so close, closer than I'd ever been before, just one dash away from where my chosen bird was calling from. Woodcocks will slowly rotate while painting, and from this close, I could clearly make out changes in tone as the bird turned. A little Doppler effect. In my mind's eye, I could see him, slowly rotating, squeezing every muscle, making his little body vibrate with energy as its paint rang out in the cold, wet air. There was even a brief change in tone that I noticed, which seemed to me like he might have a slight tickle in his throat. I was just one display flight away from being eye-to-eye with one of the most unique birds in eastern North America. One paint came a little slower than the next, and then the next paint never came. I waited to hear the whistling outer primaries. I waited to hear the twittering descent. Silence was all that answered. After waiting about ten more minutes, I stood up, pulled out a flashlight, and searched around that swampy clearing. The woodcock had disappeared. I'm not sure what happened. Perhaps the bird saw me and retreated. Perhaps it just got tired and wandered off. Incredible. John James Audubon writes about hunting woodcocks in his illustrated masterpiece, Birds of North America. How comfortable it is, he says. When fatigued and covered with mud, your clothes drenched with wet, and your stomach aching for food, you arrive at home with a bag of woodcocks, and meet the kind smiles of those you love best, and which are a thousand times more delightful to your eye than the savory flesh of the most delicate of birds can be to your palate. I have to agree. Greed can often be pleasure and excitement's darker side, There's always a better photo. There's always a closer look. Sometimes it's best, for you and the bird, to acknowledge defeat and call it quits. To turn back and spend time with the ones you love and anticipate a better sighting another day.
This podcast is written, recorded, and produced by Ian Carlson. Music by Doubletone. My special thanks goes out this week to Richard Walton and Robert Lawson, whose 1989 Peterson Field Guide's Birding by Ear is one of the best resources for learning bird calls in eastern North America. This year was finally going to be the year I mastered neotropical warbler vocalizations, and I put the CD set into my car weeks ago in anticipation of working ID skills while commuting to work. Now it's early April, my industry's dried up, I've had a kid, and the governor has told us all to stay home. There's always next year. Pink.